C'est Darien Mercredi. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hi, friend. Welcome back to part two of How to Travel. Gracefully, well, joy-filled, spaciously, stylishly, all the things. In case you aren't following along on Instagram, I am in magical Paris as you listen to this. So you should go catch that beauty and follow along over on Instagram at Hillary Rushford. But before I left, I thought about you and I wanted to take you along, not just on Instagram, but help you prep for your own adventures in the year to come. If you missed part one of this series, no worries. You can listen to today's first and then go back. Last week, I shared more of the energetic side of travel. The three personalities I think help you love or be unfulfilled by a trip, how to overcome FOMO and scarcity around us of where to visit, what to see, fear and myths around solo travel, traveling alone, and a major charge to think about how you use social media while traveling, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. And today, we're going to talk more about the logistics, where we got our head and heart in the right place last week. So this week, let's make some plans. We're going to talk about your two most requested topics when I asked you this over on Instagram, which were how to balance travel and work, take breaks as an entrepreneur, how much to work while away or how to not have to work, and money, what to spend versus splurge on, how to save up, plus a bunch of your questions around what to pack and where. But first, I want to talk about one of the reasons I believe travel is so valuable, which is it gives you a deadline. I first discovered this belief in 2013, just wild how long ago that was. Uh, I've had a lot of thoughts about travel for a long time. But something very clear happens when you get on a plane. It is a very strong deadline. We make deadlines all the time in our lives, and then they're kind of squishy, and we extend them, and we don't really meet them, and one thing bleeds into another. But that plane is going to take off whether you are on it or not. So it forces you to either get things done and really hustle your bustle, or accept that not everything is going to get done, or even let go all the things that just weren't done. If you want to force yourself to get honest that there are 30 things on your list and 20 of them you could honestly be fine with if you never did them or didn't do them for another year, go on a long trip. (laughs) Watch yourself move them down the list and move up the things that are really important to you. So for me, this isn't just about deadlines, but about seasons. So the reason this came up back in 2013 is I was experiencing a lot of seasons in my life because of travel. I went and spent six weeks in London. My family was living over there at the time, then came back to the States for a month. I went to a conference for a week, was back for a month. I went back to England and house sat for a friend for three weeks. And what I realized in all of those breaks of one, three, four, six weeks at a time, is it naturally created seasons. There was times when I was prioritizing more time with my family or friends or quiet work and organization or being professionally filled up at a conference. And this time, as we headed away to France for a month, it was a clear season prior to that of getting our apartment done and not 
pouring into our new community as much because we knew we were going to leave and then we were going to come back and be here for a more extended period of time. It forced us to take family trips because we saw far in advance, we're going to be gone all of August. So let's go visit family in June, in April, so that we get that in. So yes, travel inspires us. It educates us about the world. It grows our empathy and understanding of other humans. It's rejuvenating. But also as far as a lifestyle of elegant excellence goes, of ambition and ease, I think it's powerful at helping you to be an essentialist, to choose less but better. Choose what's now and what's later. So you're with me now. You want to travel, but your number one question overwhelmingly, and that's because so much of my audience today are fellow entrepreneurs and business owners, was about how travel and work go together. Uh, Dominica asked, is it possible to not work at all while on vacation as a business owner? How do you take time off when you're your only employee, Holly? Marlene said, how do you maintain client service while taking more than two to three breaks a year? So you need to schedule rhythm and appropriate expectations into your revenue streams. It comes from planning. And that planning happens in one of two ways. Either you automate and delegate things or you pause things. So automate or delegate means you've got 100 pieces of artwork created. People can buy it on your website, and without you being in the office, there is someone who packages and ships them, and then someone who answers the customer service emails. Or you have a course, and each week new content is released, whether you have software that's queued up or someone you've hired to hit publish for you and hit send on that email. So business can continue running without you being physically present. Pause things means after the holiday rush, you close down your shop for a month. And because you had planned for that, you've spread out your income over 12 months. You're prepared to not make revenue for X amount of weeks, and that's okay. Or you know August is the slowest time of year for sales, so you prep a launch for September and you take off before then. And you give your team a two-week holiday as well, which they too knew was coming, so everyone has planned financially for that lack of pay and is taking the same rest or this is everyone's paid vacation time so that the rest of the year you have the help you need when you're leaning more into selling. Joanna said, does your team work while you're away or do they get time off, time off as well? How do you schedule travel in with your work? It's half and half. There's times when we close down, for example, for two weeks at Christmas. We do sales before then. We prep lunches after that. We keep one person in the inbox, but in case like there's a student that needs a login and can't access their information, but we put on a holiday message. And with way less sales, we're getting way less emails, so we're able to let everyone else go on holiday. For August, right now, we're still running, but it is a bit quieter. So some people are taking off during this time so that they're intentional about not taking off during our busier period. So we kind of work in tandem, myself and the team. Um, how much do you work while you're on vacation? How do you prioritize enjoying the destination and working, said Catherine. So the real key I want to emphasize here is that whether you are on pure unplugged holiday or a vacation with the joy of little tasks or working remotely, 
So last summer, I worked remotely from Paris for three weeks. Then I took a week of vacation to travel to Spain. Though while I was on that vacation, I was still doing some organizing, photo shoots. I was kind of in the gray area, whereas our honeymoons in Greece and Mexico were zero photo shoots, very little Instagram, lots of watching movies and books and coming up with games where Jerry and I threw coconuts like our own version of bocce ball. So there are three specific ways that I travel in which work looks very differently. So this time in Paris, I am working remotely, um, but we won't have our weekly meetings. And we've been intentional that we're not working on any big projects that require a lot of collaboration. There's certain kinds of work that we do where we're on a lot of meetings all the time. We are collaborating on stuff throughout the day. We'll say, I'll get this back to you in two hours. We need to be on the same time zone. What I'm doing while I'm in Paris is more writing, more content creation, the kind of work that I can do solo. Then when we head to the south of France, we are truly on vacation with about 25% content creation, where we're doing photo shoots, we're creating content for Instagram. But as I shared last week in talking about social media, we're very intentional about that to make sure there is also plenty of time where we are just completely shut off and brain is at rest. And Marina said, people who work for me are on U.S. time. How do I do that when I'll be on Europe time? Set the expectation that this is a season with a different rhythm. So Jeremy is going to be working remotely. His company is based here in New York. He's going to have basically the opposite hours. So his team has a daily stand-up. They have a check-in every day at, I think, 10 a.m., whether people are in the office or remote. So when he does that at 10 a.m. here, it'll be 4 p.m. in Paris. So he'll be saying, here's what I did today, and here's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Whereas everyone else is starting their day, he's going to be finishing their day. But I would encourage you to think outside the box. Do you need real-time answers? You might be used to that with your team. Your time might, team might be used to that with you. But can you actually do end-of-day recaps instead? Do you need to all meet at the same time for an hour on Zoom? Or can you use Slack to go back and forth and having those conversations where you don't all have to be available at the exact same hour. Who can you leave in charge to sign off on certain decisions? What answers can you put into place? So one example recently we came up with in customer service is how we respond to crazies or not. <laughs> we had um, two different instances where we got kind of a weird email in the inbox, and it was such a great moment to say, Rather than the t customer service team having to come to me every time we get an outlier message, let me see what the teaching takeaway is here and see if I can break it down into a system that answers for them in the future what to do without having to ask me. So crazies is we don't negotiate with terrorists. If somebody just sends us a wacky, bizarre email, then no worries. Like have these save examples. Look at the fact that we just downplay it. We're short. We're to the point. Um, if someone really is writing deeply and from the heart and needs help, then we go above and beyond to help them. But I saved examples for them. I empowered the team to be able to discern which one it is. And I can trust them because they've had experience, because they have been here 
for years. And as we uh, talked about in a previous episode, um, I have they have earned my trust. So that's something that could take time in Marina that you might not have those people now. But it's about looking at it long term. When I decided I want to go on sabbatical, I didn't decide that overnight. I planned it for a year. When I decided I wanted to go to France, we didn't decide this last minute. We saw that it was coming. We had it on the calendar, and therefore we were able to create other deadlines and launch rhythms all around it. Lisa said, uh, teleworking from remote locations, how to find secure internet. Lisa, the reason I put this email in is, or this question in, is because I sometimes think there are little things that we let trip us us up, and I just want to encourage us to ask, how could that work? Am I overcomplicating that? Is is there an answer? I think here there's there's a fear, I'm not going to be able to find secure internet, when the reality is in 2019, I have never had trouble finding internet. You can stay at a hotel, which is going to have internet. They're on Airbnb now, you can specifically check off that you're looking for Airbnbs for business, that those tend to have a dedicated uh, desk in the office and higher um, higher internet bandwidth. If you have a problem with your Airbnb, hotels have Wi-Fi usually for free in their lobby. You can always look into local co-working spaces and see if you might be able to pay for a day membership or do a trial somewhere. Uh, In some place like Paris, there are co-working cafes where you can go in and pay by the hour. So just look at if you're having a little mental block, know there is a workaround for this. I I am, as I say in so many things, I am more empowered than I might think to believe that this is possible and to believe that there are creative solutions to any of these problems and that if travel is something I deeply desire, then there is a way to do that. There is a way to do that with young kids. There is a way to do that while being ill. There is a way to do that while being an entrepreneur and be committed to finding examples of people who show you that it is possible rather than immediately thinking, well, I don't think that's probably going to work for me. It probably works for Hillary, but it probably wouldn't work for me. A few other questions. Amarina said, how do you deal with business anxiety being on vacation? Jasmine, how do you rest from business mentally and stay fully in the moment while away? Sierra, how do you handle the guilt of leaving or turn off your brain to be truly present? Marin, what about checking in too often or not checking in enough and then feeling burnt out when you get home? Either your business will die or you will. <laughs> is honestly what it all comes down to for me. Lots of things have broken when I've left other people in charge, when I've gone away, and I don't regret going or having tried to delegate. I would rather have some scraped knees in my business than be too terrified to ever go outside. So will it be perfect? No. Do you still need to create that space in your business and take the scary leap and accept that there will be bumps along the way? In my opinion, yes. But don't just flee. As I said, plan ahead, prep the team, create breaks, do smaller tests. Um, And yet, both people on my team quit right before I went on sabbatical. I fired my marketing team. I left a trusted mentor in charge. With all of that happening, Pretty much nothing got done that was supposed to while I was away. I cried a lot the last month that I was on my sabbatical realizing that. And I'm still glad I went. My business makes 
four times more revenue today than it did then. So it didn't die. And I had great life experiences and came back with the wisdom that has poured into Elegant Excellence and this podcast and has blessed my life and business. Do you ever feel like you don't deserve it until your business is successful? Asked Jamie. No. If this podcast and my life had a soundtrack, this is where the orchestra would come in as I say, you are deserving of everything you want in life right now. You do not have to be thinner, older, have a husband, more money, or be more successful to deserve anything. This is your life. It could end in a year. You could get sick. Do not wait. There is no medal in heaven for being a martyr. No one wins by you withholding joy from yourself. Pour into what will make you successful. If that is joy, spaciousness, creativity, abundance, blessing, beauty, and I think it is, then do more of that. And for me, that deeply comes from travel. Shira asked, do you think retreats are beneficial for entrepreneurs? No, I think they're more than beneficial. I think they're essential. See, answer above. (laughs) All right, so now you can see how it will work with your work. Let's talk about how to afford travel financially. Jessica said, what are some hacks you have to make it happen money-wise? A few specific hacks are you can house swap. This is how, uh, or house sit. This is how my family traveled growing up. My dad was a college professor and a minister. We were middle class. We were always fine. But looking back, we took trips to Palm Springs and Hawaii where we would go house it for people, people that my parents were friends with when they were going on vacation or that had a second home that we could stay in. Nowadays, you can rent out your place. Um, That is so much more feasible to do depending on the area you live in. See if people would be interested in Airbnb in your place. You can even book your travel around that. Wait for a time when someone does rent your place. Say that the place needs to be rented for a minimum of X days And then once those are booked, plan your own trip during that time and have that pay for the accommodations. Get savvy about travel miles. As an entrepreneur, since we spend a lot on our business expenses, this is the majority of how we afforded our elopement was travel miles. Uh, Most of our trip to France is able to be covered by that. And for me, as an entrepreneur, Those two things go hand in hand because I know that it is good for my business, my storytelling, the content that I'm creating when I travel, and the fact that my business expenses pay for that, which lets us create more content and more engaging stories. It's kind of cyclical and it all goes together. So especially if you're an entrepreneur, see how all those things waterfall into another. Make a list of the travel budget areas. Like what do you have that this is going to take? Flight? housing, meals, shopping, experiences, and rank what are the most and least important to you. I shared in last week's episode, for me, that is much more my housing than it is meals, shopping, or experience. So I spend more on finding an Airbnb that really inspires me or a hotel that feels you know, really um really beautiful rather than those other things. But if you are more of a do or a have person, you might decide to save on the really simplest place that you can sleep at so that you can go out and enjoy more of the city with your budget. 
Flights traditionally are the most expensive part of travel, so that's why I am such a fan of going for longer. It's one of the reasons why I really love having a business where I can work from wherever, because if I'm going to go ahead and buy the flight to France, may as well stay for a month instead of just a couple of days. If you can be flexible on your time, you can research the best times for those flights. You don't have to go at the peak time. You can do a little bit of research to see when are flights more affordable to places that you want to visit or at the time of year that you want to travel, where are the most affordable flights going to. Danny asked how to eat on a budget in Paris. And Skylar said meal hacks. Eating out is, and then like the emoji face with um, like dollar signs coming out of your mouth. (laughs) So remember that when you're traveling, you technically can grocery shop and cook just like you do at home. If you want to stay in an Airbnb and someplace with a kitchen, this goes back to the thinking creatively. Don't let the idea that travel means you have to eat out be what keeps you from being like, I'm actually just going to go to the store, cook myself breakfast, pack a sandwich, and still let myself be in Paris for the same amount of money I would have spent when I was at home. For us in Paris, our favorite meals are all picnics on the river. We will go to the corner bodega and get a baguette and some cheese and some meat and some grapes and a bottle of wine, which is really cheap over there and you can drink outside. And we will just walk down to the river and have a meal that for us costs less than it does for us to eat here in New York. Another random note when it comes to budgeting for food, I've come to enjoy all-inclusive resorts because I know the exact total going in. If you're going to have all of your food and drink there, it's way easier to know this is in my budget and I'm not going to go over it. I avoided them early on because I thought, well, I don't really drink that much. This probably doesn't make that much sense for me financially. But I actually realized it is so stress-free that I'm never taking out my wallet and I just know exactly how much I'm spending um, before I even arrive. Also, you can start swapping earlier when it comes to saving money. Whatever it is that you want to do there, you can save on it here when you're at home. You can not go out to eat at home and put that cash literally in a Paris envelope. Even if you don't eat out very often, if those times add up and that's going to give you the freedom to do it over a week, that can be a long-term goal that you're saving for. Not shopping because you're going to want to while you're away. Mine is actually the opposite. I traditionally uh, shop less sometimes when I'm traveling and want to just be more present. So I will often shop right before I leave because I know that I'm going to enjoy having new clothes to go and wear. But that means I haven't shopped in forever because I knew that I was going to want to shop before Paris. So then I gave myself the freedom to do that in terms of my budget because I basically had been on a shopping ban for six months um, prepping for that. Consider however many months or a year before pouring into what that priority is. And you're hearing again my say that we really plan our travel in advance, whether whether it's our work or our finances. But focus on what makes you feel most abundant. I would feel depressed in a tiny, bland Airbnb, but I feel delighted having a cheap picnic on the river. I would rather buy, you know, cheaper clothes to wear while I'm there, not shop at some fancy high-end Parisian boutique, but stay somewhere with a beautiful view, cook breakfast at home to stay to save money, but know that I booked us someplace with a balcony so that it's really gorgeous where we are having that breakfast from. 
I think what's most important to remember is that you are empowered. Things that matter less to you, you can save on and you can spend where you know it matters. Years ago, I went to Mexico to a resort alone for four or five days. My business was brand new and also to Puerto Rico with a friend. But during that time of my life, I barely shopped for clothes as a personal stylist. I was actually too busy running my business. I wasn't going out to eat or wasn't drinking. I wasn't going to a ton of conferences. I would almost never go to Broadway shows or the kinds of things you think you might spend money on living in New York City. So get very honest about your budget. I have always prioritized travel. And so if you look at me and you are envious of the fact that I travel and that I'm able to do that with a business, hear me when I say that I've made those choices and I made them even when I was making so much less and I had so much less help on my team. It wasn't something that I delayed. It was something so important to me that I've been prioritizing it all along the way. Do you want Netflix more than you want to see Paris? Do you not need to say yes to every birthday dinner you get invited to because the cost of those adds up and you don't need to bring a gift for everyone, even though you're a people pleaser? Are you flying home to Ohio for the holidays because you feel guilty, but your family makes you miserable and visiting visiting Italy would bring you so much joy and make you feel prouder of yourself for decades if you would prioritize that? I'm I'm just saying I have been poor, and no, I was not going on three-week tours of Tuscany, but I did leave the country. I did travel. And so I know you, too, can actually choose it and do it. Aurora said, I don't want to leave my cats for too long. And someone said, saving up for a trip with lots of other expenses because we just moved recently. But so did you. I want to remind us to own and celebrate our life choices. If you just moved and therefore you can't afford travel, enjoy the new home instead. We cut down from three months to a one-month trip because we did want to enjoy our new home more. And yes, that saved money. And that was part of it. We didn't want to move into a more expensive home and then turn around and leave it. So decide what you want more, to be with your cat or to travel. Both answers are equally awesome, but you have to own it, that there is a trade-off. Jeremy and I have decided that two weeks is the max that we want to be apart. I could go abroad for three or four months to go write my book, but I'm choosing not to. And I honestly, until I sat down to write this, I haven't even been thinking about it. I love him more than I want to be away. So I don't daydreaming, daydream about being alone in Italy any more than I daydream about making out with another guy. I choose what I've chosen, and I don't torture myself wishing that I could have it both ways. If I was single, I would probably be going to France or Italy for three or four months to write, and that would be magical. I am instead married. That is also magical, and I am owning and celebrating what, you know, being a newlywed for this year in my life instead, rather than focusing on the fact that I can't have it both ways. Eliza said, I feel guilty spoiling myself with travel instead of saving money for tougher times. My question, Eliza, is, is it spoiling yourself or is it just living and experiencing life? So for me, spoiling myself would be flying first class or spending 
$400 a night on an Airbnb. That's spoiling. It's going above and beyond. It's leaping to the next level of luxury. But taking one plane flight for a three-week trip, having a reasonably priced Airbnb with a few nights in a nicer hotel, while having our friend rent our place here in New York, covering a lot of it with travel miles, that's enjoying life. I'm not spoiling myself and splurging. I'm actually just living my life. So consider your thoughts. Do be responsible. I don't have debt. I don't charge things on my credit card that I can't afford. But I think this would be a great journal exercise. What feels like a splurge? And does that feel good to splurge? Like a $200 dinner? That for me is a splurge. And no, it doesn't really feel good. It doesn't really fill me with enough joy. But going and staying in a moderately priced Airbnb while I rent my place out at home, that feels normal. It doesn't feel like a splurge. It doesn't feel like I'm spoiling myself. It feels like I am creative and abundant and living a joy-filled life. Or does it maybe feel like it's something you told yourself along the way or someone told you that might be putting a low ceiling on your life? What is it that makes you feel like you're spoiling yourself? Is that coming from something your mother would have taught you because your parents never would have spent this kind of money? Where is that message coming from? Or is it coming from a place of love and being wise for yourself that you really do want to be financially independent and stay out of debt? Or is it coming from a place of fear and being unkind to yourself, making your life smaller than it has to be, punishing yourself somehow, holding yourself back from experiences that no one is asking you to deny yourself? And speaking of being kind to yourself, lastly, let's talk about how to pack and what to wear. Truthfully, teaching about how I pack is much easier to watch and see than it is to listen. So if you didn't see it yet, I recorded an IGTV before I left on how to pack for travel. So go find that on my Instagram profile. I talk about how I choose a wardrobe that goes together. The first thing that I start with, it's a great little video. So go watch that as soon as this episode is over. If you swipe up, I'll link it in the description below. But here's a few more questions that I got. Tara said, what's your favorite outfit to fly in? Something comfortable, but you still look chic in the end. I am a big fan of flying in black and white. That might sound weird, but there's just something super chic and Chanel, Audrey Hepburn about black and white that makes me feel like you still look chic, even if you're a jet lagged mess when you get off the plane. I wear comfortable pants. I want my legs covered in case it's cold, but I would never fly in jeans. You do not have to fly in sweatpants. There are plenty of comfortable pants that are actual pants. I have slip-on, slip-off shoes, so it's easy for security. I do kick my feet off on the plane, but I put on socks so I don't have my, like, bare feet exposed to the people next to me. But I put on socks to make it more comfy and to keep me warmer. I wear uh, sleeveless or short sleeves and a layer because I find planes go back and forth in hot and cold. My kind of main uniform would be black pants, a white button-down, and a black and white cardigan. Um, I also have a couple of black long pants rompers, like onesies, which, yes, airplane bathrooms are a little bit complicated, um, but they're just so comfortable. So, oh, and a hat. A hat is key because it just covers a multitude of sins when you get off and you're tired and your hair is a mess and your makeup is smudged, as do sunglasses. 
Love to have both of those with me. And a small makeup kit of face wipes, moisturizer, cover-up, like whatever your most self-conscious area is for me. For usually, usually for me, it's if my skin is breaking out. So I like to be able to do like a little wipe off of any makeup that's cakey, put a little moisturizer on, put some cover up on, you know, put some under my eyes if my makeup has smudged overnight. Um, That to me is enough to help me just not feeling tragic. Victoria said shoes, practical yet stylish for travel. Any great shoe sources? Basically, shoes you've worn a lot and broken in. Now is not the time to be buying new shoes. Um, I often have shopped from brands like Naturalizer or Aerosol, which are not sponsoring this podcast, but basically grandma shoes. (laughs) No offense to the grandmas, but really focusing on comfort and trying to find the chicest, simplest shoes that really do have good foot support if you're going to be walking around more than you traditionally are. I realize that I never pack heels. Now, this is different if I'm going to be doing a photo shoot someplace that I am, but specifically when Jeremy and I have gone on beach vacations, uh, you know, honeymoons where there's no photo shoots, I actually hemmed all of my long dresses. I had a bunch of beach dresses that I realized I kept packing with me and then never wanting to wear because I had to wear heels and it it was sandy and makeup-free, and that just wasn't the way that I was feeling. So I traditionally like a boat shoe or a loafer, kind of an easy slip-on, or a sandal with a thicker sole or just a little bit of a heel. Back when I was in college, I uh, spent the summer living in Germany, and I wore nonstop any children of the 90s with me. I called them my pillow shoes. Like, we all had them, at least at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. Um, there were these black shoes that had a super thick platform sole and then just one stretchy band over the top of your foot. We called them our pillow shoes, my roommates and I, because they were so comfy. But they had no arch support. And I realized that my feet, I, I had like a, a chronic pain in my in one of my feet by the end of the summer. And I realized actually it's because there was no arch support. I will say with all of this, though, I am not super picky about my shoes when I go travel because I'm a New Yorker, so I'm used to walking. I already don't own uncomfortable shoes. I don't just hop in my car and get out um, to work. But if you do find that you are walking more when you are in a city, a couple of dancer tips here for your feet. Um, One, when you get back to your room at night, lay with your feet up against the wall. So get on your bed, lie on your back. Scoot your bum up to the headboard and stick your legs straight up in the air. Um, it's If you're familiar with yoga, this is kind of like doing a headstand where you want to get the blood flowing the opposite direction. I was doing a show one time where we were just on our feet nonstop tap dancing and my friend's mom was a nurse and she was like, you guys all need to be putting your feet up on the wall to get the bl- blood going the other direction so that you have less um, you know, uh, bloating and inflammation in your feet. Another, if you are really in a pinch is you put your feet in a bucket of ice. This was my secret to sanity in Rockettes. Um, My feet would just be aching from having been on them all day in the most intense rehearsals. And you get uh, the trash can in your hotel room and you fill it with ice and water and you stick your, your feet in there. 
it is miserable. Just put on a podcast and some music and uh, the TV and distract yourself. But it makes all the difference. I would go from limping around for a whole other day to being totally fine if I would just endure 10 minutes of misery because it sucks out all of that inflammation. A few other things to have in your purse if you are someone that is really concerned about blisters or anything like that. Liquid Band-Aid, way better than actual Band-Aids because it won't sweat off your feet back a uh, million years ago, when I was first in New York, I was here rehearsing for the Broadway tour of 42nd Street. My feet were so swollen from dancing all day that I went to Macy's, tried to buy a pair of shoes that would touch my feet the least, and yet still was getting such blisters. I had uh, Band-Aids on my feet, but it was so hot. It was July in New York City. That was like a heat I'd never experienced coming from Southern California. They would sweat off in a second. And I remember going to church on Fifth Avenue with some girlfriends and then walking home barefoot down Fifth Avenue because my feet just hurt so bad. The Band-Aids wouldn't stay on no matter what I did. I couldn't, like, bear the blisters. So, yes, I have walked barefoot in New York City. Sometimes a girl's got to do what girl's got to do. Um, another tip is a runner stick. It's the, the thing that runners use for, for thigh chafe. It's hard to say. But um, to keep it from rubbing. You can put that on your shoes to create like a slipperiness so that your shoe isn't sticking to your foot. You can put moleskin. Um, I will link below actually to these different little things on Instagram. I'm sorry, on Amazon if you want to take a look, but you can put moleskin. Um, just be intentional and sort of prep ahead of time so that you don't end up with blisters. Um, at our wedding, one of our little um, ring bearers went down the aisle. I didn't see this until afterwards in the photo. He went down the aisle in a tuxedo and little black flip-flops, cutest four-year-old you've ever seen, um, because his feet were so blistered from being just in the heat and therefore expanding, and they were giving him more blisters in the tropical weather than he was used to um, from home. So it happens to the best of us. Kate said, if you could only pack in a carry-on, what would you pack? Heather, packing a small wardrobe that will go from walking all day to the theater at night. I would take just two pairs of shoes, one pair you're going to wear, and one other pair in there. I would be even more ruthless than what I teach in that video that I linked below about how things pair back to each other, really making sure that you get the most mileage out of everything. Um, the little black dress, such a cliche answer, but it's a go-to for a reason. You have a little black dress with one great accessory. So you want to get the kind of black dress that you could wear with sandals during the day, and then you can, so it's not too fancy, and then you can dress it up by putting on either a great necklace, a pair of earrings, red lipstick. You can just add something to it and, like you said, have that, you know, ability to wear it to the theater. And then you want to have a nice layer. So whether that's a light coat or a cardigan, something that's not too sporty or beachy. It's not just a zip-up. It's not too fancy. I'm going to link below, actually, to a green coat um, that I have in a blog post from Paris. I bought this three years ago, and it is my most one of my most worn items in my closet. I take it on every trip because it is that in-between layer. It works over a sundress or a sequin dress and is comfy enough for the plane. It's kind of a long, silky jacket. So that would be my absolute go-to. And then swipe up for the most helpful answer in the video below that I put on Instagram. And you'll also find there a link to my Guide to Paris blog post. Um, if you want to see the uh, another question I got was top 
places to visit in Paris, and that will be linked below. So also, I answered a few questions that didn't make it into today's episode over on Instagram. If you look under the pinned story on my profile that says travel cues, folks ask tips for traveling with a spouse and planning together, how do you handle the long flight, and how to avoid anxiety in countries where you don't speak the language, amongst other things. So Katie, Amy, Taryn, thank you all for your questions, and I answered more of them over there. One final question. Any tips for someone who has never traveled internationally before, but dreams of it every night? Ask Gwendolyn. Friend, you are the CEO of your life. Review what I shared about saving money. Review what I shared about setting up your business to support it, if that applies to you. And then make it happen. For our wedding, Jeremy's parents had never been out of the country on vacation. My parents had, meanwhile, lived abroad a lot. They've lived numerous times. My dad is a college professor, and they've been the faculty family at a lot of study abroad um, programs. So they've lived abroad for semesters or a year at a time. I didn't realize what a big difference there would be. Our parents are similar age you know, similar, you know, middle-class people. His parents looked pretty shell-shocked the first 48 hours, and my parents were flourishing. Not only were they similar age and social class, but neither spoke the language. One just had experience. My parents have simply had more experience. You create the life you want one experience at a time, and then it just becomes more normal that this is your life. After about 48 hours there, my in-laws were thriving and have thanked us since for welcoming them outside of their comfort zone. But even in your 60s, even as a brand new entrepreneur or a mom of four, whatever your story is, please live the life you dream of living. You may have heard me say this a lot, but I was claiming $10,000 on my taxes as an unemployed actor in New York City not long before I started my business. I have had anxiety and depression so intense I could not get out of bed and had suicidal ideation. And all that I did and continue to do is make small but steady steps to make my life more empowered and healthier. Life is about experiencing wonderful things, whether peacefully by yourself or with people you love. So if you dream about experiencing travel, please set a goal today. By what date you will go and where. And then start working on how you can make it happen. I cannot wait to hear your stories and your photos. So please tag me on Instagram when you do take that trip. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately are lighthearted reads that are not scary and someone has not died. I kept picking up novels where a parent had died. Ugh, they were just sad and depressing. And I just realized more and more that I want more uplifting, positive, or at least not scary, sad, super depressing things in my life. So I thought I would give you a handful of my favorite books in this category, and I've linked them all below if you want to click through and check any of them out. One, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine for anyone who loves Where'd You Go Bernadette, which is the second one I'm putting on this list. You will also love Eleanor Oliphant. Both of them are just quirky, 
delightful leading ladies and have some sweet themes in them, but mostly are just have a smile on your face and are very enjoyable. Next two are Rules of Civility and A Gentleman in Moscow. They're both by the same author, Amor Towels, I think is how you say his name. I found Rules of Civility on my friend Briny's shelf. Um, she is a girl of style, if you know her on Instagram. I was house-sitting for her in Cambridge, England years ago, found this on her shelf, devoured it. It was like maybe, this was years ago, but I want to say it was like 1930s New York City, just sort of like, you know, champagne and Gatsby-esque. I adored it and immediately looked to see if he had any books, other books out. He didn't at the time. And then not too long ago, he came out with The Gentleman in Moscow, which is just divine. I heard that they're turning it into a series or a TV movie or something. I hope that they are because it's the most recent one that I've been recommending to everyone on the novel front. Next is Do This For Me. This one is about someone who finds out that her husband has cheated on her. So it does have sort of a sad theme to it, but there really was a um, just a positive energy throughout it. And I found it a really enjoyable read, but you might want to know that in case that topic is triggering. And then finally, How to Be Parisian Wherever You Are. I read this book years ago in one sitting on a plane. Um, it just was so enjoyable and one thing led to the next and you just kept turning the pages and it's been a favorite on my shelf for years. So while at the moment I'm in Paris, so I don't think I will ever be Parisian, but next week we are off to the south of France to visit that magical house in Provence I told you about in last week's episode and go see the sea, the Côte d'Azur. So come follow along virtually over on Instagram. We are loving having you a part of our travels at Hilary Rushford. And à la semaine prochaine, mon amour. See you next week, my love. Till next Wednesday.